You know, I've been thinking about this uh, all week long, and um, I think about one of the first events that, that Mark organized here was a, a ministry fair, and we asked uh, every uh, ministry to have a display. And uh, you had some pretty elaborate displays, you know. I remember the Lads to Leaders group had a big display, and, and then the, uh, even the baptismal garments, you know. They had all these baptismal garments out, the folks who washed that, and prison ministry, and uh, women's ministry, of course, was just beautiful and decorated to the hilt. And, and then we had our men's ministry table, and um, headed up by my friend Tim Lee, all right? And let me show you the men's ministry display. It simply was a poster that said, it don't stop, all right? And I've made fun of Tim about that for quite a few years, but today, brother, I'd like to repent because I like the sentiment of that thought is that it just don't stop. And when we think about Mark and Jackie leaving, we've been making a list around here the last few weeks of all the things that Mark Loudermilk does. It's an incredible list. And we think about lots of people who've left us. I mean, we've become ascending church. You think about Joy and Ann Leday going to, to Turkey. I mean, you think about some of the people who passed away, like Wendell Scroggins, to go to heaven. You think about some of the charter members of this church, like Bill Royal, who passed away. You think about others, like Wes Gunn, who've been sent out to, on a mission for God. Those leave some great, great voids. And our challenge today is, how do we make sure the work of God is not crippled? How do we make sure, in Tim's words, it don't stop? And that's what I want us to look at today. Because I believe that Jesus had some of those same concerns. I mean, you look in our our culture today. Uh, Many people say America itself is in a post-Christian age. That the height and strength of Christianity is waned. I was reading an article the other day that was trying to explain how from 2004 to 2014, gay marriage has been so quickly accepted in our country. I mean, it's been a a, a whiplash. And Gallup Poll was trying to look a little bit deeper as to how that could happen. No one would have guessed in the year 2004 that a majority of states would now have that legalized. But here's what they found out. In the poll in 2004, they asked people about religion in America, and 71% of the people said religion was increasing in its influence in American culture. This year, they took the same poll, and 77% said religion is waning in its influence in America. So this concern, how do we make sure it doesn't stop? Like I mentioned, I think Jesus had some of these very concerns when he walked the earth. I mean, he's about to leave. What's going to happen to his cause? John chapter 6, verse 67. At one point, Jesus is teaching. A lot of folks are leaving because his teaching is so challenging. Then he turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? What are you guys going to do? And Peter responds, Where else could we go? It's like saying to your wife, you know, are you going to leave? And she goes, well, where else would I go? That's not really encouraging. But then Peter's next line is greatly encouraging. Lord, you are the way to eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 18 is preaching about prayer. And at the conclusion, the second part of verse 8, he says, however... When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? That was Jesus' question. 
when he comes back, is there still going to be a remnant of people who display their faith by prayer? Well, Jesus, how did you keep this thing going? I mean, what was your plan? Now, let's be honest. Jesus rejects Satan's plan to make a great spectacle to call everybody to. Satan says, why don't you go jump off the temple, you know, and let the angels rescue you and man, do something that spectacular and everybody will see you. I mean, think about all the options Jesus had. I mean, Jesus could have at one point appeared to the whole earth, you know. I mean, he could have done it. I mean, he could have been like Michael Jackson the other day in that hologram where he appeared like he was still alive. And Jesus could have done it all across the world where everybody had to see him. I mean, he has all kinds of options of how he gets his message across and gets people attention. He might take the landmark option of sending four emails a day to you, all right? How many of you delete some of those emails, all right? Okay, there's at least one honest soul there. I mean, what is he going to do? How does he keep it going? Let's, let's look at Jesus' plan. Look with me, first of all, in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Jesus' plan was to make disciples. And, and here's what he believed about making disciples. is when you make a disciple, the disciple becomes like the teacher. You see, the first century educational system was completely different than ours. It was not classroom-based. It was lifetime-based. So if I became a disciple of Aristotle or or whoever it may be, what it it meant was I would go live with them. I would not only listen to their teaching, but I would watch their life. And my goal was to become like them. And Jesus embraces that educational system and says, here's the way I've been changed the world. I'm not going to make some big splash. I'm not going to force it upon people. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invest myself in some people who, when they're perfectly trained, will become like me. And then look in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, when he starts. He appointed 12 that they might, here's the key words here, be with him. They don't just show up once a week to a classroom where Jesus lectures They live with him. They walk with him. They minister with him. And that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He spends time with them. He trains them. And he sends them out to do exactly what he's doing. What kind of confidence does Jesus have that this can really happen? Listen to John chapter 14, verse 12. Verily, truly, I tell you, speaking to these same disciples, whoever believes in me, will do the works I have been doing. He believes they can carry on the work. Context here, not only have they been trained, not only have they been modeled, but now they are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and they have the power of prayer to call on him. And then he blows your mind. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus believes that he can train a group of people, fill them with the Spirit, And that his work will continue and, yes, multiply. And then, Jesus is praying over these guys, just like we were praying over Mark. In John 17, and listen to what Jesus says. I have brought you, Father, glory on the earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Now, I read a very unique interpretation on this verse that I'd never seen before. Every time I read this, I think Jesus is praying about the cross. 
But understand, this is before the cross. And Jesus is saying, I've completed the work you gave me to do. What's he talking about? In context of this prayer, he's praying over the disciples. If you'll go back and read this prayer, 40 times he mentions them and their work and their future. And so I believe the correct interpretation, what is the work Jesus has finished him? Here, the work he's finished is training these men to carry on his work on this earth. That's what's going on here. That's Jesus' plan, friends. Jesus' plan was to pick a few, invest in them, and to turn his work over to them. That was his plan. You've all heard the story of Jesus going to heaven. And he gets up to heaven, and the angels surround him, and they're so excited. And they ask Jesus, now, what have you done? He said, man, I've gone to this earth. You know, I was born of a virgin lived a perfect life. I went to a cross and died on a cross for people's sins. And then three days later, I was resurrected to prove I'm the son of God. And they go, wow, that's incredible. And Jesus says, I've left my calls on this earth to continue to spread across the earth. They go, yes. And they go, okay, Jesus, what is your plan? And Jesus says, well, I've left it with these 12 men. Do you pay attention to the kind of folks he, he picked? Uh, we got Peter, who can never keep his mouth shut. We got John, who's got an absolute terrible temper. We've got Thomas, who's constantly doubting. We've got Simon the Zealot, who probably was a murderer. I mean, we, we've got this group, and Jesus says, okay, angels, let me tell you, I left, them with the, I left it with these guys. And they say to him, Jesus, what happens if they don't carry out the plan? And then Jesus responds, I have no other plan. That was his plan to put it in the hands of men and women and for them to reproduce it over and over again. I ask you, is Jesus' plan our plan? Now, that's what Jesus tried to make happen. Jesus took his plan and he wants it to become our plan. So in some of Jesus' last words on the earth... You're familiar with this. Look back at the Great Commission, Matthew 18, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's the plan, Jesus? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Listen to me. Everything else I'm about to read modifies the command to make disciples. Everything else is about making disciples. What does he say? He says, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What does Jesus say the plan is? Jesus says, what you've seen me do is what I'm commissioning you to do. I came to make disciples. That's the teaching method. That's the way we change people. What I want you to do is to go and make disciples of all nations. That's the plan. Well... They took it up. Even the the late chosen apostle Paul, he understands the plan. One of the great verses of discipleship in all the Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Did you notice that? You've got four generations of people there that the faith has been passed on from. Four generations. 
And, and, and what Paul says is he's trying to instruct this church about how to make sure it doesn't stop is here's what you do is you invest in people who invest in people who invest in people. And that's how the cause of Christ continues. So let's break this down. Write this down if you're taking notes, all right? How does this happen? What does Jesus' plan look like on paper? Number few, number, number one, number few, he invested in a few, all right? And let me go ahead and give you the second one. A few people plus a lot of time. A few people plus a lot of time. Now, don't get me wrong. You know this. Jesus ministered to thousands, but he only trained 12. He gave his life on the cross for millions, but he spent three and a half years living with and ministering with and investing in just a few. In fact, even among the 12, you could divide it into the 12 and the three he invested a little heavily in and even the one he gave his greatest investment to. A few people plus a lot of time. Because one of our frustrations is we want to hit everybody at one time. We want the hologram to go across Montgomery and change Montgomery. We want everybody. We want everybody in this church to be strong overnight. And that's our frustration. Our frustration, if you're in a leadership role in this church, is that you look at a leadership role of 1,500 people and you say, how in the world do we make this happen? That's frustrating. But, but here's what's beautiful and encouraging. Jesus would say, don't try to make it happen with everybody on a wide-scale basis. Pick a few people and help it happen with them. So a few people, plus a lot of time, plus teaching and modeling. That's the next part. Jesus taught them. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus began to do and to teach. Jesus had a show-and-tell style of teaching. He would show them how to live it, and then he'd explain it to them. You see, understand, Jesus is seeking to make converts to his lifestyle. He's not just trying to start a new religion. He's not just wanting to create a denomination. He's wanting to create disciples. He's not simply trying to impart a set of beliefs, even though that's part of it. He's not even simply trying to teach them how to correctly worship on Sunday. He is seeking to convert them to a way of life, to his way of life. That's why the elders challenged us this year to wear these armbands and to use this as a theme. That Christ is our life. It's not just something we do on Sunday. It's not just something we learn about. It's how we live. And over the last few weeks, I hope you've been, been drawn to Jesus as we started this series on reflections of him. In two weeks, we've seen two things about Jesus. We've seen that he's playful, and we've seen that he's powerful and passionate. But what an incredible personality. The same Jesus whose hands hold the children, turn over the tables in the temple. The same man who is so gentle is so tough. The same man who is so fun is so intense. I mean, his 
Let me tell you this. Jesus was alive. And if you read the Gospels that way, he'll come off the page. He was, he was alive. Too many people today, we're not living. We're just existing. We're just making it from paycheck to paycheck. And one job to the next. And one day to the next. Hoping we're just going to survive. Jesus was alive. And people were, were drawn to him. And as they're drawn to him, he begins to teach them and model them. Because he wants them to be able to live the same way. My friends, if dying, on, dying for our sins was all Jesus needed to do, he could have died early in his ministry. But that's not all he came to do. He also came to show you and to show me how we're supposed to live. And let me tell you this. Jesus was not a bore. Jesus was someone people were drawn to no matter how badly you had sinned. No matter what you'd done, you were drawn to him. And as you were drawn to him, Jesus begins to take these few. He begins to spend this time. He begins to teach and model. And then you notice in a verse we read earlier, he begins to send them out. He sends them out to do what he does. All right? Spends a lot of time with a few people. Trains them, teaches them, sends them out with assignments. And then the last point here is he gives them feedback. I mean, there, there, there's two times that I, I see where, where they, they went out to try to do what Jesus did in casting out demons. And, and one time they're successful and they come back and Jesus said, guys, that was so cool. I, I was watching the skies and it appeared that Satan was falling like a bolt of lightning. You guys got it. Yes, you did right. And then another time he walks off a mountain and they can't cast this demon out. And, de- and Jesus says, different feedback here. My goodness, you guys have so little faith. How long am I going to have to put up with you? He gives them feedback. Guys, that's the way we grow in anything we do. Is we go out and we do it and then we get feedback about how we can do it better. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. And that's how he's prepared them to go and make a difference. So, so understand the formula here. A few people given a lot of time where you teach and model, where you send out, and where you give feedback equals it don't stop. That's how it lasts. And guys, what we're talking about this morning is the greatest teaching method in the history of the world. You see, our answer too often is let's start a class. Guys, the class is great, and they play a role, no question. But that's not what Jesus did. Or let's, um, you know, today, how would Jesus feel about online education? <laughs> okay, guys, you've been following me. Uh, I've got this website. Just go to this, you know, once a week. We're good. Guys, all, all that's cool stuff, but it's not discipleship. It's not the full picture of what it means to become a disciple. It's got to be a few people. You give a lot of time. I ate lunch this week with, with, with Jeff Sitnick. Jeff is Mark and Jackie's next-door neighbor in the neighborhood they moved in not too long ago. And uh, they led him to Christ. And I'm concerned about Jeff because they have been so important in his life. They're about to be gone. So, so we're talking about it. And he said, man, I, I, he said I'm, I'm concerned. He said, man, you know, Mark, study with me. He teaches me the Bible. And he said, um, I know this right now. I can knock on their door anytime, day and night, if I got a problem and they'll help me. My friends, that's discipleship. 
It's not limited to an hour or two hours. It's knocking on somebody's door day or night. And guys, what we need to do is to use that as a model for what we are to do. Because too often, his plan is not our plan. Let's be honest. What, what, is, what is majority of churches' plan? Well, let's, let's create some really cool services. In the services, let's hire a preacher that would challenge us to do better. Let's put people in some classrooms where they're going to learn the Bible. Awesome. But my friends, that's not enough. It's not enough for us just to come here and go, wow, isn't this great? You guys, we got this, we got this challenge on our hand that is incredible. The, the challenge that you took at one point in your life was to become like Jesus. The day you said you were a Christian, you said you were going to be a little Jesus. And Jesus' model is what works. Just let's have a big happy time together and somebody get up here and challenge us a little bit. That's good. That needs to be part of it. But it's not the whole picture. I asked you, is that our plan? I'm telling you, if we don't want it to stop, we better invest in Jesus' plan because it's much better than ours. Listen to me. You, you understand this. There have never been more churches doing more exciting services in America or Montgomery, Alabama than there are today. you got more choices of more excitement and more cool things going on and great shows. But Christianity is slipping. The amount of people who get up every Sunday and go to church in Montgomery, Alabama is lower than it's ever been. The percentage of people who claim to be Christians is smaller and smaller in America. So what I'm challenging you and I is that we go back and we adopt Jesus' plan. You say, buddy, that's, I couldn't do that. Man, that was Jesus. Well, somehow he thought these guys could. Let me ask you some questions. Anybody in here know how to have a meaningful, quiet time? I mean, you know how to sit down with the Lord and spend time in his word and prayer? and walk away different. Do you? If you do, you have something to disciple someone in. Anybody in here know how to visit the hospital? Or know how to make a hurting person feel better about their life? Then you've got something to pass on. There's a lot of people sitting in this audience they are scared to death to visit somebody in a the hospital. They don't know what to do when someone breaks down in front of them. Any of you had experience in overcoming a problem? And I'm thinking about our drug addiction ministry. It's an awesome ministry in this church. And we got people like Tim and people like Ed Bice who've done incredible work there, many others of you. But here's our challenge is, what happens in the next generation? Are we training the next Ed Bice? Are we training the next Tim Lee? I mean, do, do any of you in here, you good small group leader? Who are you training to be the next small group leader? And that's where so many things happen. I look across here, I see some incredible Bible class teachers. you got a gift. Can I ask you, who are you training to do what you do? Some of you can go back in a children's classroom and you light up children's faces in a split second. You could pass that on. Any of you made a marriage work? In our culture, that's an amazing thing. You could take a young couple on your wings and teach them from your successes and failures of how their marriage to work. Any of you raised children successfully? Man, that's needed. 
So let's, let's don't say we can't do it. Maybe we're not proficient in every area of spiritual walk, but I'm telling you, whatever you learn, the challenge of Jesus, whatever you're, you're good at is to pass it on to somebody else. That's my challenge to the elders of this church. We have incredible shepherds of this church. But the challenge is who are going to be the next shepherds? As this generation passes on, who's going to take their place? I think about our two new shepherds in our Birmingham plant, Tim and Wes. And, and, I, and I would say to them right now, as they begin to be elders, that one of the first steps they need to do is to look out and see who they're going to train to be the future elders. I know as a preacher, my greatest desire for my last years of ministry is that I give them an opportunity to help train somebody else to be a minister. That, that what I don't need to do is just do it. What I need to do is have an opportunity to be able to help someone else. Not that I've got it all down pat, but I have learned a few things. And you've got to pass it on. Do you know how to lead someone to Christ? Do you know how few people in the church today know how to lead someone to Christ? If you do, you don't need just to lead someone to Christ. You need to teach someone else how to lead someone to Christ. Do you know how to help someone grow in maturity? Guys, I talk to people all the time. Okay, here's how the conversation goes. How are you doing spiritually? Well, not doing very well, just sort of struggling, just not doing well. Okay, I understand that. Um, are you reading your Bible? Well, not really. Every once in a while I look at it. How's your prayer life? Well, about a minute in the morning. You've been memorizing any scripture? <laughs> I haven't even heard about that. that. Those conversations happen over and over and over again. Do you know how to read your Bible? Do you know how to pray? you know how to memorize scripture? Then take somebody under your wings. There's a bunch of folks in this audience who would love to be able through you to learn how to do that. But what we must do is we must become intentional about it. So here's our question today. Will it stop or will it multiply? Will it stop or will it multiply? But can, can I ask you, is this going to last to your grandchildren's generation and beyond? Can, can I ask, and I'm not trying to be ugly here, do we care? Some of us, by our priorities and the things we do invest our time in, really communicate we don't care much. But I think that's probably a little harsh of a question. I'm sorry. Here's a better question. Not quite so harsh. Do we care enough to do something? Do we care enough to decide, you know what? If this is going to last, it's not going to happen just by some flash. It's not going to happen just if Buddy gets us fired up on Sunday and Paul leads us in great worship. It's going to happen when we begin to re reproduce ourselves the way Jesus did, the way the disciples did, the way the early church did, and the way someone did for you. And guys, that's going to take a change of mindset among us. It will for me. Quite often someone asks, what... What about being a minister do you enjoy the most? And here's been my answer for a long time. I love seeing the light bulb come on in somebody's mind and them coming to Jesus Christ. That's what I love more than anything else I get to do. But that's not a sufficient answer. Here's what my answer needs to be. I love seeing the person I led to Christ leading someone else to Christ.
That's it, guys. It's not, I just love teaching a class. I love teaching someone else who can teach a class. It's not, I just love being a shepherd of this church, but I love training someone else to be a shepherd of this church. It's not, I just love and I thrive in the small group environment and lead my life group, but I want to train some. My greatest thrill is when this person who came to the Lord is now a life group leader out there that I helped invest in. That's where it happens. And my friends, that's when... To use bad vernacular, it don't stop. It just don't stop. And Jesus' plan and Jesus' method works. But I ask you again, do we care enough to do it? It's one thing to say, thank you for this sermon, buddy. That makes sense. That's very biblical. It's another thing for you to walk out of here and you to seek out some people that you could invest your life in. And I know Satan's going to make you feel inadequate. And all of us are inadequate in lots of ways. But you have something, I guarantee it, you have something that you could share and teach other people. If I had enough time, I would point out dozens of people in this audience right now that I know what you can do, and I know what you could give to somebody else. I love this poem. I I don't know who wrote it, but I saw it this week. One man awake awakens another. The second awakens his next-door brother. The many awake can rouse a town by turning the whole place upside down. The many awake, I love this part of it, can make such a fuss, it finally awakens the rest of us. One man up with dawn in his eyes That man, he multiplies. We need some people to wake up to the people around them and wake somebody up who will wake somebody up until we make such a fuss, it wakes us all up. It wakes us all up. And then it don't stop. God has left us with this incredible treasure God has left us with the best news the world has ever heard. God has left us with a lifestyle that actually brings joy and peace to your life. Our challenge is for it to multiply. Today, if you need some prayers about this, if you want to commit yourself to this, please come to the front. Today, if you've drifted so far, you need somebody to invest in you, and you're just out there lonely, and you're, it's just not working, and you need somebody, if you need to come and say, would someone please help me? to learn to have a quiet time. Help me learn how to lead someone to Christ. Help me learn how to teach. Man, that's why we're here. One man awake awakens another. The next awakens his next door brother. The three awake can rouse a town by turning it upside down. The many awake can cause such a fuss That's what we need. That arouses the rest of us. One man awake with dawn in his eyes. He multiplies. If you need our help, you need our prayers today, won't you come? Always stand and sing.